all you have. We would be honored if you would join us. So as you can hear, I'm still sick. I have a few more days until my doctor's appointment, and now I'm getting a little bit scared. I'm wondering if there's something seriously wrong with me, because no one has the flu for this long. I've been sick for like two months. So until my appointment, I I guess I will not know, but, uh, you know, hopefully everything works out. But enough about me. Let's get to some Star Wars, because that's what we're all here for. Because this chapter had me on the edge of my seat. There's a lot going on. Maybe not in action, but in the information. So let's let's just go ahead on and get with the story. A Jedi needs nothing but confidence and comfort in the Force. Clothes for warmth, a ship to travel in, food for energy, water to slake thirst, a sword to stab, a blaster to shoot. All these are luxuries. The Force is everything, and without it, we are nothing. Master Shalmar, a life in balance, 7,538 TYA, so your arrival. Lannery relaxed in her reclined flight seat. She had plotted the fastest course she could from Calamar to Knox, and now she was eager to see if Ironholks could download more information from the damaged memory cell. Knox was a big planet, and of its almost 90 domed manufacturing cities, almost half might conceivably be capable of taking on a commission for the Gree device. Lannery had no doubt that the specific expertise required would reduce that number to a mere two or three. But as yet, she had no real idea what that ancient technology might entail. She was flying blind into a storm, but that was the only direction to take. She'd contacted Master Dan Powell and told her of the situation. The Jedi Master had promised that she could instruct those few Jedi currently on Nox to monitor incoming off-planet traffic, but it was a notoriously renegade planet, and the majority of travel to and from Nox was unregistered. Finding Dale and the Stargazer's ship would be like finding a particular pebble on a beach, especially considering Lannery still had no clue what type of ship they might be flying. Dan Powell had asked if Tree was still with her, and Lannery had nodded. The resulting silence had been loaded. But the Twi'lek had not moved from Lannery's cot to speak to the Jedi Master, and Dan Powell had nodded and then signed off. Lannery stared at the stars and stroked the scarred mass on the back of her left hand. She still remembered the day Dale had given her that. The beginning of the end. So you actually live in this thing? Trisana asked. It's my ship, yes. It's a bit bland. Not much of a home. Don't you get claustrophobic? With this view? Lannery hadn't even raised the back of the flight seat. But perhaps Tree was growing bored, and confrontation would pass the time. I never did like space travel. Always makes me feel sick. We weren't built to travel through space. However well shielded a ship is, I'm not convinced I don't get baked by radiation every time I leave the atmosphere. Your grav unit's configured wrong, too. I feel twice my usual weight, and that's making me even sicker. Lannery raised and turned her flight seat, smiling. Is that all? No. It stinks in here. I know you're probably used to it, but electrics and grease and the smell of you. And let's face it, your ship is small. You sit where you sleep when you eat. And that bathroom, I have to tell you, Jedi, I've been in some of the seediest taverns in the worst of the nine houses on Shikokwa, and even they have better amenities than you. How can you wash in recycled water? Where's a shower? His face fell as if he had just recognized a terrible truth. And what do you eat? Ah, Lannery said. Food, good idea. 
She stood and entered the living area, opening a small cupboard set in one wall. As she did so, she nudged the droid where it worked at a drop-down bench. Anything yet, Ironholgs? The droid did not even reply. It was tweaking and adjusting a delicate arrangement of wires and chips on the broken end of the memory cell, and it paused briefly as if disturbed, then continued. I'll take that as a no, Lannery said. Now then, Tree. Here. Take your choice. She threw a handful of packets across her cot, several of them landing on Tree's legs. What's this? Dried food. What, you think I'm hiding a hydroponic pod somewhere at the back of the ship? Tree picked up a silvery packet and looked at it in disgust. His face wrinkled, Leku drawing back as if from something poisonous. You eat this stuff? Hot water, some salt. Some of it can be pretty good. Although you've got dang bad stir there. Gotta admit, that's not the best. How long do you spend in this thing? Tree asked, looking around, feigning disbelief. Lannery was starting to get annoyed. She hadn't really wanted him along. Didn't trust him, especially since she'd seen the true harder tree behind the quips and false face he displayed. But she was stuck with him now, and he with her. Civility didn't cost much. Once I was in deep space for over 200 days, tracking a special forces cell from Krevkur gone mercenary. 200? Tree shook his head in despair. I don't need what you need, Lannery said. She slipped a food packet into a metal pocket behind the cupboard hatch and charged it with hot water. Delicious smells filled the cabin, soon whisked away by the climate conditioner. I know what Dan Powell's promised you, and I'm sure you'll get it. But vast estates don't interest me. Fast ships, great wealth, prominence, standing in the community, overflowing credit accounts on a dozen worlds. She took the packet and started eating. Men, adoration, even respect. I don't need any of that. Tree laughed. <laughs> then you're... Because I know there's more to life, she said, cutting him off. She was tired of his inanities and angry that he could be so superficial. In the face of everything she knew, and all that he must know, such shallowness offended her. There's a force. It binds and holds us and makes everything precious to me. It's our reason for being. There is no ignorance. There is knowledge. And that's much more precious than fine foods or somewhere comfortable to wash. You sound like one of the clans on Kalamar praying to one of their sprash gods. Different being, I know the Force exists. Trisana smiled and nodded, never taking his eyes from hers. It was a strange moment. Dan Powell had made him unreadable, and Lannery wondered why the Jedi Master had employed such a dangerous man. Or perhaps what she'd done to him that had made him this way. But there's not always balance, is there, Jedi? He asked, as if he knew everything. Eat, she said. It's really not that bad. She turned her back on him again, sat in her cockpit seat, and thought of those experiments she had put on hold. There was darkness there if she did not use caution. But she was comfortable. She was balanced. There was no reason at all to worry. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. Lannery stayed there for some time, and Tree must have read her need to remain undisturbed. She was glad of that. She didn't like having someone else in her ship, and despite all her best efforts, being constantly reminded of his presence was putting her on edge. 
Ashlaw and Bogan were out of sight, along with Tython, 160 million kilometers away on the other side of Tythos. Yet she felt their pull and presence, as did every Jedi wherever they might be in the system. Ashlaw was light, and Bogan dark, and they tugged at her with a comforting gravity, as if she were suspended at the most perfect balancing point between the moons, influenced by both, yet pulled in neither direction. It had not always been like this. After she had lost Dale, halfway through her great journey, she had experienced a period of unbalance. Returned home. Learned from her parents to be trusting and trustworthy in the Force once again. It had been nowhere near serious enough to warrant exile, but it had troubled her greatly then, and still did now. And Dan Powell had warned that her experiments had the potential to upset the balance once more. The alchemy of flesh, genetic manipulation of cells that, though seeded from her own body, had a life of their own, held such dangers. But Lannery could not help playing to her strengths. Ignoring them would be like trying to deny the force itself, and she had already seen the results of that. Death, she had believed. But now in Dale, maybe something worse. A terrible kind of madness. Perhaps at some point during this mission, she might find cause to return to her studies. Greenwood Station, Lannery said. The stargazers were communicating with someone there. That's not good. It's not? Tree asked. Lannery looked at the partial communications Ironholgs had managed to extract from the damaged memory cell. All of them had been encoded, and even when deciphered by the droid, they had used mundane language that was beyond any codebreaker. But the origin and destination of each signal had been scrambled with military-level ciphers. Greenwood Station is one of the worst places on one of the most dangerous planets in the system, Lannery said. If there's a general dislike for the Jedi on Nox, they hate us there. It's surrounded by three destroyed domes, bombed by the Jedi during the Despot War. I was only young then, 13. But my parents went to war, and my father served some of his time on Nox. A terrible place, he told me. Acid rain, corrosive gas storms. We warned the domes the bombings were going to happen. They were supplying Hadea with weapons, however much non-military pressure we exerted. But thousands still died. Many thousands. No one has ever really known how many. I'm older than you, Tree said. I seem to recall Greenwood Station being bombed as well. But not destroyed. The original dome was breached but quickly repaired. It's a damaged place, and everything around it is ruin. But it's still where they make the most advanced military tech outside Typhon, Tree said. It seemed he'd known everything about Greenwood Station, but had feigned ignorance and let her say it anyway. Another one of his games. And how would you know that? I've had cause to use them from time to time. You've been there? Lannery asked. She had no interest in Tree's business or his reason for using high-end tech. Not then. Of course not. I told you I hate space travel. But you'll be known there? Tree raised an eyebrow, shrugged. Not by anyone who'd help us. Why not? You're Jedi. Great, Lannery said. It was a perfect place for the Stargazers and Dale to flee when they knew she was on their trail. And yet, this was not about escape. Some of the older communications her droid had plucked from the damaged memory cell proved that. They were going to Greenwood Station for one reason, and that could only be the construction of the Gree device. How complete their plans were, Lannery could not tell. The old Osamael Orr diary was far from comprehensive, and there was no way of knowing whether he had ever found those Gree plans. If he had, perhaps they existed in another diary, one that Kara had been too sensible to leave even in her hidden room. And even if the Stargazers did have the plans in some form, whether they could build the device effectively and make it actually work was something no one could know. Her mission remained one of unknowns and ambiguities. 
One thing she was certain of, this had already gone further than she could have hoped. The dangers were too great, the chances of Dale's success too dreadful to comprehend. The chase had to end on Knox, and there she would face her brother. I'll plot a course, Lannery said. Then we'll find you somewhere to sleep. Tree feigned surprise and held his hands out, indicating the narrow but comfortable cot. Don't even think about it, Lannery said. She pointed at the door she'd shown him before. With the laser pods? And the food stores? There might be space rats in there. I keep a clean ship, Lannery said. And I'm sure you've slept in worse. Well... His three lekus stretched in amusement. Lannery tried not to smile. She sensed that he wanted to make this as painless as she did. Come on, she said. Let's just get by. I'll fly us there as quickly as I can. I'm not sure I want to get there that quickly, Tree said, and his tired smile might have been the first genuine one she'd seen. We'll be fine. I'll look after you. And who's looking after you? The Force will be my guide, Lannery thought. She turned her back on Tree and went up into the cockpit again to chart the fastest, safest course to Greenwood Station on Knox. All the while, she was thinking of Dale, and that, as a journeyer, she had never truly understood how dangerous he might be. Not until close to the end. So Lannery and Tree are heading to the planet called Knox. This planet has been so polluted that the people have to live in great domes that cover the entire city. It is their systems like Arms Planet, their tech planet. They make weapons, electronics, tech, stuff like that. But as they head to this planet, Lannery and Tree talk about their differences. She expresses how she does not need anything but the Force. No extravagant clothes, homes, material things, you know, anything like that. The Force gives her all that she needs. The Force is everything to a Jedi. This is what she's explaining to Tree. She tells Tree that she has been in space for as long as 200 days. That's a long time to be in space. They discuss Nox and the war that the Jedi had fought on this planet and how the people of Nox feel about the Jedi. I really don't think that they like the Jedi very much. You know, that's just the impression I'm getting. Tree also tells Landry how much he hates space travel. He states that space travel makes him sick, and humanoids should not be in space, any species. He feels that they get radiation poisoning every time they leave a planet. There's just a whole lot going on, but let's find out more by finishing this chapter. Even though Master Kinnade is adept at healing, Lannery's arm and hand still hurt. It will for some time, Kinnade told her. I can fix the damage, but the scarring will remain, and the memory of pain is stronger than you think. The memory of pain means that she can barely sit still, even in Temple Master Law Mi's chambers. Dale is also there. His own wounds are less serious than hers, bruises and lacerations from impacting the ground, but Master Kinnate paid them just as much attention. You are not here to be punished, Temple Master Law Mi says to Dale. Even though the chambers are large and impressive, Master Law Mi sits in a simple wooden chair, his sword propped beside him. Lannery has heard many tales of this man, and this sword. You are here so that I can hear what happened at the top of Staff Kesh. I've learned through my long life that stories are fluid and that the truth is often found in the sum of the parts. So I'll have each of you tell me your own version of events. It's very simple, Dale says. He is sitting before Lamy, alongside Lannery, and on his other side sits their instructor. Master Kinnade took away all my senses and expected me to shoot straight. I haven't yet asked you to speak, Lamy says. His voice is not stern, but it carries the authority of age and experience. Master Kinnade, if you will begin. She stands and bows her head. Master, I was training a group of students with the Darosphere. She goes on to relate events exactly as they happened, expressing no opinions, simply relaying the facts. 
Lannery cannot perceive any elaboration to her story. It is exact and correct in every detail. Kinaid finishes and bows again. And now you, Lannery Brock, Lawney says. It's as Master Kinaid described. I did my best to feel the force and fight the sphere, but I admit to becoming overconfident. The others did well, mostly. Some bruises, burns, bloody noses, and one or two hits on the sphere, too. And then it was Dale's turn. He moved well, and at first I thought he was seeking the force, and I felt proud, pleased for him. But then the sphere took him down easily, and he pulled his blaster. He got off several shots before Master Kinaid stopped him. She flung me to the ground and almost broke my arm, Dale says. I almost went over the parapet. Law Mead does not even look at Dale. He is still staring at Lannery, his old eyes almost closed as he listens and thinks. And your thoughts when one of those blaster shots passed close to your arm? I was frightened for Dale, Lannery says. Because of what Master Kinaid might do to him? No, because of his own loss of control. And now your version of events, Dalian Brock. Dale sighs deeply, an almost petulant breath. But Lannery can sense his fear. Go on, Dale, she says. He glances sharply at her, then his gaze shifts to her bandaged arm and hand, and he looks wretched. I tried, he says. I tried to find the Force. He's lying, Lannery thinks. I know him so well, I can hear it in his voice. I tried my best, and when the sphere hit me, I went for my blaster, tried to follow the Force, shoot where it told me. He shrugs. It didn't work. I'm sorry, Lannery. Every scar tells a story, she says, repeating something their father once told them. Temple Master Law Mi nods. It's fortunate that no one was killed. Master Kinaid is adept at healing, and I consider myself lucky that she chose Stavkesh instead of Maharakesh. She can mend flesh wounds and knit bones, given time. But no Jedi can defeat death. Your actions were foolish, Dalian. Led by impetuousness, not guided by the Force. I put that down to youth's enthusiasm. Perhaps some more traditional weapons training might be in order for the next few days, Master Kinaid. Just what I had in mind, Kinaid says. She stands as if at a silent signal and motions Lannery and Dale to stand too. Stay with me, Lannery, Lamy says. The other two leave, and then Lannery is alone with the Temple Master. He is old and strong, but not intimidating. There's a kindliness to him that makes her feel comfortable, and she can sense his concern. Your brother, he says, and then he says no more. A question? He's trying, Lannery says. He knows what our great journey is for, and he's doing his best. No, Lamy says. I fear he has already given up. For some, the Force is never comfortable or easy to find balance within. No, she says, standing before the Temple Master. He remains seated and composed. Our parents are Jedi, and we will be also. You already are, Lannery. I sense a great future for you. You're strong, sensible, mature, and you have... He held out his hand, tilted it left and right. Balance, give or take. But your brother is different. He carries a darkness within him, and his shunning of the Force makes it too dark to penetrate, too deep for me to plumb. There may still be a way back for him, but you have to realize how dangerous he might be. You have to be careful. I made a promise to my parents. He's my brother, I love him, and I'll save him. Sometimes, love is not enough. Lamy rises and takes her hand. He speaks no more. But she feels a touch on her mind, brief but potent, that shows her a blink of what Dale had been thinking in the Temple Master's chambers. Deep, 
dark thoughts. Now, the second part of this chapter starts off with Dale and Landry as teens back at one of the Jedi temples. They are in Master Tay's office explaining what had happened that day. Dale just had a bad day dealing with the Dale's fear, a.k.a. Jedi's Bane, where he just starts blasting wildly and accidentally shoots his sister in the hand. Dale tells his side of the story. Landry knows that Dale is lying about what has happened, how he was searching for the Force to direct his shot. But after everyone is finished telling their side, Master Tave tells Landry to stay behind to talk with him. At this point, Landry expresses her feelings about the situation. She states that she will do whatever it takes to save her brother because of her parents and how much she loves her brother. Master Tave tells her that love might not be enough to save him. Then Master Tave shows her what Dale was actually thinking when he was telling his side of the story. And they were some very, very dark thoughts. This was one of the first times that Dale actually hurts someone because he refuses the help of the Force. But in my opinion, I think he can't use the Force at all. Maybe we'll find out in Chapter 9 next week. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.